Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Undisputed Podcast with Bobby Finley. Oh, why are you talking like that? My announcer boys. Yeah, that's a little too much, I think. Moving on. Welcome to the Undisputed Podcast. Gentlemen, round deuce. deuce. So it's good, kids. How we doing? Yeah, come on in. Come on in. The water's fine. A little nippy, but it's good. It's good. It's good. So what do you got going on down there? Where? Down down where? In hell? Down there, where you are right now. What do you got going on up? Talk to us. Where are you going to be? What are you going to do? Down, Frank wants to know what's going on with your crotch, is what he's asking. <laughs> you can go there, too. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Frank, your question was, where am I going to be? Where can your millions and millions and millions of fans come see you uh, in the next month or two? You I got some indie I think dates coming up. You got some meet and greets coming up. I do. I do. Uh, Talk first, to the masses. First one being... Uh, September 24th, Black Label Pro Wrestling in Crown Point, Indiana. Be there doing uh, doing a little match, having a little match, having a contest. Uh, also doing a seminar, doing a seminar that uh, that afternoon. Um, once again, Black. Black Label Pro Wrestling. You can visit their Facebook page if you need to. Um, the following evening, I will be in Portland, Oregon. Beautiful Portland, Oregon. Yes, the beautiful scenic landscape of Portland. Uh, I will be working for uh, Prestige Wrestling. Talk is Cheap featuring me. Uh, again, you can go to the Prestige Wrestling Facebook page for details. Um, let's round this out here, boys. Got a couple more. I'm gonna be in Baltimore, Maryland for uh, gorgeous Baltimore, Maryland. MCW on October fifteenth, and uh, I'll be doing a little match as well as a meet and greet. And then I will follow that up on the Saturday after October 16th at Celeb Fest, the Baltimore Celeb Fest. I will be there signing things, shaking hands, kissing babies, signing babies, changing babies. Um, any good uh, changing baby stories? We all have them. We all have them. We all had that moment in time when we're changing a baby and well, that mustardy poop comes oozing out the sides and you're changing them like a NASCAR guy is changing his tires. So I wasn't wrong. This is literally the, the shit episode. Awesome. Yeah. Frank, I don't know. You seem to have one on deck. No pun intended. <laughs> no. So let's, uh, let's hear I've it. had my you fair share of um, catastrophes, if you will. You first. Uh, my daughter was wearing a white ESPN onesie. I smelt it. wasn't sure what I was smelling, but I went in for the kill, and um, just everything just fell apart, and I panicked. And it turned to a big mess. 
all over the changing table, the floor, just poop everywhere. Yeah. Don't spare it, details. It was good. It was a memorable moment. I think how did it, it, how nice. did it end, how did it end up everywhere? Were you just like moving the baby, your daughter? Yes. Around, like just there was it, it flew out of her diaper, it flew everywhere. It was and I couldn't change it fast enough. So when I changed it, it flew the particles of poop flew everywhere. Poops huh. Yeah, that's poopsicles. Not poopsicles. That's frozen poop. It'd be sharticles. Frozen poop. What do you, what do you got? Um, okay. Well, mine was uh, not necessarily a baby changing story, but um, my kids obviously were little uh, so. because they were <laughs> in diapers and uh, I had a little something going on that day um their mom and i we weren't seeing eye to eye on something and uh i happened to be in the bathroom um was leaving to go somewhere um our disagreement was over me going or not and um in the midst of our heated discussion through the bathroom door the door swung open um i saw a flash of um like sweater because she was wearing a sweater and um diaper <laughs> and, uh, that uh uh very familiar mustardy brown yellow uh baby number two um yeah coming right at me so i put my arm up to defend myself the poopy. <laughs> like like any bill paying adult would <laughs> that, that mustard just smeared right up my forearm up my elbow, um, you know, over my elbow, up up to about shoulder. Ooh. Almost made it to the face. And um, yeah, so that was my, uh, there's my, my diaper story. What do you got, Dennis? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I didn't, I didn't try to paint the room with the poop. Uh, my, <laughs> my youngest daughter, I actually, I'm sure it happened with both of my daughters, but it, I don't remember. I know what happened. And it was like, what's that? And then I kind of turned my kid around and looked and she had on a white onesie with whatever she was wearing on the bottom. And you could see it through her white shirt all the way up to basically the top of the back of her head. Oh, a back runner. Yeah, I went to and it was it was the yellow mustardy nasty. And yeah. and it was like uh, the mother goes, you got this one. Yeah. Like, yeah so i did so i gagged my way through changing and wiping and i think i used an entire pack of wipes to clean the entire thing and then i think it was just like all right put her in the bath like we're not we're not even playing around here when you get poop yeah. in your hair it's time to take a it's tubby time sure sure i i still to this day if i uh if i go to the bathroom in the morning and i get shit in my hair i, I get in the shower <laughs> 
I, I think at yeah. this point in your life, if you're if you're on the toilet and you get shit in your hair, I think maybe the shower should be the least of your concerns. You got bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah. I got a very I got a very unconventional wiping style. So please. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm just things get wild here. <laughs> Ordinarily, I would probably dig deep part of the fun in that one, but I think we're gonna let that one go, boys and girls. Since we're on the topic of shitting your pants, Ooh. have you ever defecated yourself in the ring? Funny you ask. That sounds like a yes. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a yes. Um, it's it's kind of a yes, decorated with a no. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it actually it happened uh, just a few months ago. Uh, just a few months ago, um, it was me and Jeff Hardy. I wrestled uh, Jeffrey Hardy, uh, the legend, the legend Jeff Hardy. And um, so I was warned prior to this match, like, "Hey, Swanton Bomb." You know, it, it can be a little stiff, it can be a little, uh, it's there, you know, so be prepared. Um, it was described to me by one individual as uh, like having a ice box or a refrigerator dropped on your desk. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, I had, uh, I had prepared myself, or I thought I had prepared myself. Um, so as I see Mr. Hardy dropping from the sky ceiling, whatever you want to call it, lands on my chest, um, I was positive that I shit my pants. <laughs> so you're telling us right now there's an opportunity. You took it number two on national TV. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Uh, TNT? Would that be national TV? That is, yeah, that's, that's national yep, that's, TV. That's national TV. Well, and you answered your question, Frank. Um, <laughs> so it uh, and as fate would have it, you know, I had uh, two new pairs of tights that Kyle and I had made. Um, one had a black base, which was the one that prior to that match I had worn for, uh, you know, most of my AEW matches. And the night that I decided to wear the silver ones, the lighter colored base is the night that, um, you know, that I, I was going to get the, uh, ice box dropped on my chest, on my, my, uh, my torso, and so uh, I was positive I shit my pants. And uh, <laughs> Matt, Nick Jackson came into the ring. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly, uh, I, I, Adam, I think was there. I don't remember. It, either way, <clears throat> I let them know, hey, pretty sure I shit my pants. So <laughs> you guys do me a favor and <laughs> kind of walk behind me as we leave the ring. And what, you know, because... I was pretty certain, like with the being silver tights, like there's probably a, a spot. And um, so they did. They did me that favor. We got to the back. I went straight to the locker room, 
straight into the men's room, uh, into the stall, which uh, the stall next to me, there was somebody um, in, in the midst of a number two, <laughs> which made it uh, that much weirder, I suppose. Um, but so I've taken, taken my, uh, I have like a pair of under tights that I wear under my tights, hence them being called under tights. <laughs> But so I'm just taking the whole, just take the whole deal down and I'm trying to be careful because the last thing I want is for a piece of uh, dung to fall on the floor next to me. And then the, <laughs> the, the stall next to me is like, geez, Bobby Fish got bad aim. <laughs> um, so nothing fell on the floor. Um but then to my surprise, nothing fell on the floor because there was nothing there. It was like a phantom poop. Ghost poop. Yeah, it was like a ghost. It was like, uh, I don't know. I, f- I felt like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Like a ghost come to <laughs> visit me. And I don't know. Um, there was nothing there. I was shocked. And I could have swore like in the ring that I felt something, whether it be, yeah, you know, like maybe a little nugget, a little, little something between my cheeks. So I'm thinking to myself, like what, you know, and I'm obviously I'm not talking about the cheeks on my face. Um, I, I was, uh, I was so confused still to this, I'm confused. I don't know what was there. And the only thing I could think is that maybe when uh, Mr. Hardy hit me with the crouton bomb, um that like my maybe my large intestine shot out of my butt (laughs) (laughs) and then and then went back in (laughs) i don't know because i could have swore something was there (laughs) you know but yeah so i kind of shit my pants that is a a revelation a revelation a bombshell if you will um just dropping a bomb. Drop a bomb. A ghost Listen, bomb, but a bomb nonetheless. This you ne- you you never know when the bombshells are going to be dropped on this podcast. That's why I got so to what, what did Kyle and, yeah. and the Young Buck say when that you're saying to him, "Hey, I think I relieve myself." How does that conversation? I would laugh. I couldn't be in the ring with you. Oh, oh, I'm sure they laughed. I mean, I'm sure they laughed. Like <clears throat> if people knew the things that get discussed or, or, uh, you know, said under your breath in the ring. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes it's in the midst of a match, you know, sometimes it's after the match, sometimes it's before the match. Sometimes it's, you know, in that instance, like when they're helping me up, you know, picking me up off the, the mat and, and I, I, you know, Iggy them, and hey, I th- I think I shit my pants. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I remember it, you did an indie show up in Johnstown, New York, and mm, some guy, some guy in the crowd swore did something, and you were in a rest hold, and you said, "Hey, nice mouth, Jack, or jerk off, or something." Crazy. It was the funniest thing because you yeah. did it in motion. I don't know what the guy, I couldn't tell you what the guy said in the crowd, but it got real quiet. Yeah. And all you heard was you say, hey, his mouth jerked off. There's kids, there's something crazy. 
Yeah, my favorite thing in pro wrestling is truly, it, it, it's, if not my favorite, one of my favorite things is, like, if you go to a show and you pay the extra to be ringside, some people, you know, they don't, some people are really annoying with that. Like, they, they, they say things and they do things that, you know, it's just, but one of my favorite parts about the people that are respectful, at least to a certain degree, like I'm willing to play along and I want those people to walk away with a little bit of an extra experience. And I love talking shit. Like I have to equate it, you know, I have to draw the line back to my father. The man that raised me was so sarcastic and never at a loss for words so i just i love to talk shit i love to bust balls and talk shit and uh <clears throat> so it's found its way into my wrestling once i got real comfortable you know a few years in once i started getting comfortable and relaxing like it you know these things just started to come out and then people i <clears throat> people um you know that would i don't know if it mentor me but like we're we're you know <clears throat> telling me that you know don't do this or do more of that or one of the things that always came up was like you know it's annoying your voice is is mm -hmm. kind of nasally upstate new york accent but it cuts through the noise it's so annoying <laughs> I, I can hear your voice above everyone else so you know you really have some interesting things to say and and sometimes they're quite humorous like more of that and uh you know i all i need is a, a touch of encouragement and you're gonna get more of that and that's kind of that's kind of my comfort zone like if if i'm talking shit to the fans around ringside or like the timekeeper or the people sitting at the table or whatever like if i'm just then you know like okay he's feeling it he's having fun that's when i'm i'm in my element didn't you grab a beer a couple weeks ago on, I forget what show it was. Instead of drinking it, was that you? Um, I don't think I drank it. Or you uh, put it in your mouth or something, you grabbed that guy's hand? Uh, I think I might have slapped one out of somebody's hand or something. Yeah, yeah, there were a few. There, there's, there's been a few. Um, uh, you know, my, uh, and, and like I said, I like doing that. I like that interaction with the people. And I think it gives people like, I, I don't know, I, for lack of a better term, like a kind of a little Easter egg to come in, <clears throat> come into the show and watching it live and paying the extra money for the ticket, but, but don't violate the trust there. So I'm, I'm going to say this. Um, there was a gentleman used to be like a reoccurring fan at, uh, I, and I won't name the company or whatever, but, uh, and he would be ringside all the time. And so like, yeah, I mean, I would, I would get into it with him. He would, he would yell things. He would, he would cat call or not cat call, but like heckle cat call. <laughs> he was like, come here, big boy. <laughs> he, would, he would heckle. And, uh, you know, I don't mind that. Like I, I like talking shit back and forth, but this guy um, at some point, under my breath, um, I said something to him. And later that night, he posted it on Twitter. 
And it wasn't like it was any big secret. I think I told him to suck my dick or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he put that out there and it was like, dude, like, you know, you work for some of these companies and they don't want that kind of PR. And they, and like, that's, that's like a gift, you know, that I gave you that you got an, an actual response from me that was legitimate it wasn't in gimmick it was like you know whatever it was and that's kind of what you pay for when you pay for the ringside tickets and stuff and I, I like for fans to have that experience but don't go then you're you know you're breaking the the fourth wall you you've now like violated my trust I can't try and still to this day because he's been to shows um I will not interact with him anymore basically he took it too far and and ruined that that unique experience that he was getting at a show that not everybody in the audience was getting he was getting that completely unique thing he broke the trust and you were like all right well now we're done you went too far this is why we can't have nice things Uh, there you go 100 that's exactly what you know in a a way i parented (laughs) (laughs) so let's get down to brass tacks Oh, this show is about you how you how you started in this lovely business we call professional wrestling. I remember you were working at the Mad River in downtown Albany. Okay, so now, walked, huh? now what, Frank, what's that? I I was one of the owners of that place. I know, I know. <laughs> I walked in one Saturday night, and you said, "Hey, what's going on? I'm gonna be a professional wrestler." I just looked at you, Mike. All right. All right. How did you get, how did that happen? Um, I, you know, it wasn't one of those things that like I wanted to do my whole life. I mean, you guys would probably know cause you knew me long before this, but like I wanted to play football. That was, I loved football. You know, I got into martial arts when I was like eight because I wanted to be a ninja and um, the ninja career didn't exactly pan out. <laughs> Oh, you know, because I'm a realist and I was a five foot eight uh, kid from upstate New York, I figured like ninja is not working out. Why not the NFL? You know, those are dime a dozen. (laughs) (laughs) So football was definitely my first love. So, uh, yeah, wrestling was just one of those things that was always there. I started watching it with my dad. And it kind of found its way in and out of my life growing up. Like, I think you guys could probably relate a little bit to, you know, you're, you're a Hulkamaniac overboard. And then, you know, you hit whatever, 11, 12, start getting boners and, you know, thinking about girls and, you know, pro wrestling's not the coolest thing in the world. You know, you're not getting a lot of, not getting a lot of dates because you got a Hulk, uh, Hulk mania headband, you know? So like I said, pro wrestling was in and out of my life a little bit. Um, I finished playing football in college. I had no real plan. I just knew I wanted to keep playing football and that meant I had to go to college. So what I studied in college, which was English, I had no plan for. Um, I was uh, working for a marketing company, I was on the road 
for the first time traveling like outside of the state of New York. I was I was living in San Diego and then I, I traveled to like six different states in six weeks time. And um, I saw this book on a shelf at an FYE, which I don't do they even have those anymore. Yeah, they're, they're still a thing. OK, so FYE. Um, and I recognized the guy on the cover and I'm like, wait a second, is that one of the British Bulldogs? Is that the dynamite kid on the cover? And I was a big British Bulldogs fan, specifically the dynamite kid, because to me, he looked like this little rugged, like gymnast, you know, little did I know he was on copious amounts of steroids, (laughs) (laughs) you know. I was so had such a mean streak and, you know, built the way he was, but he was like acrobatic and he was like, but he was a little guy. So he was all these things. Cause you know, I'm a towering five foot eight, like I said, so he's all these things I wanted uh, that I don't know that I, I looked up to. And, um, but when he left WWF TV, I lost track of him. I didn't, I didn't know what had happened to him. And then here I am now, um, a 20 some odd year old adult. And I see this book, um, I'm on the road for this marketing company with people I don't know. So my fallback was reading. I just, I bought a bunch of books and I would just read on the road. So I read his book. This was during the time of like tough enough and, um, Kayfabe was really kind of losing its thing and so much of the business had been exposed. And so his book, which if you, anybody who's read it would, it would, you know, certainly serve as a deterrent for getting into pro wrestling. But for me, it was the opposite only because it showed me that like, oh, you go somewhere and you get trained to do this because I grew up in a time, Dennis, I, I, you could say the same thing. Like when pro wrestling, you didn't know how you knew there was something different about it, but you didn't know how the, how the magic was done. So I didn't know like, Oh, you go someplace and you get trained and blah, blah, blah. So reading that book, let like include me into like, Dynamite Kid didn't just disappear from WWF TV. He he went, he he continued to wrestle after that. He had a whole career before that. That's why he was so goddamn good. Um, because he had such a, a career in Japan before WWF and these legendary matches with Tiger Mask. And I had only seen Tiger Mask on WWF TV like once or twice. So it was like this whole awakening for me. And then I thought like, well, shit, I, every nine to five job that I tried, even the bar, even, you know, being partners in a bar, I was a bartender for years. And I thought that was a natural transition. Just didn't, nothing was, nothing was taken. Um, so I just felt like something normal was not in the cards for me. And I don't know, I got a hair up my ass and was like, all right, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to try pro wrestling. I think I, uh, I do remember my first match being a, a battle royal and, and uh, looking around at the other, you know, 20 or 30 some odd assholes that were about to go in this ring with me and thinking to myself, like, oh man, I made a mistake. These are not my people. Like, I am, <laughs> you know, like, I it just was like, 
one of these kids is doing his own thing and it's me. And uh, so I thought like, okay, it'll be one and done. I'll do this because I'm already here. Like I'll go do it and I'm, I'm out of this. And as soon as I walked through the curtain, like, I don't know, they, they, it was described to me as like, oh, you got bit by the bug. The wrestling bug is what the boys would call it. And you get bit by that. And then like, even, you know, whether it's 10,000 people in the audience or 10 people, it's an audience either way. And like you walk through the curtain and you're on, you're performing. And that was it. You know, like from that day forward, as shitty as that show was, I don't know. I was pretty certain like, oh, this is my, this is what I'm doing. Life on the Indies. Is it like the movie, The Wrestler? Um, no, I mean, it's not a, it's not totally far off, but everybody's, everybody's situation is different. Like literally, you know, a lot of like professional football players, basketball players, whatever, they have similar paths to get to the big show. And um, pro wrestling is so not that way. You know, there's some people that come from one thing and, and then there, there are obviously similarities with some people but there are so many different stories you know um i mean i'll just throw a little piece of one story out there like with kyle kyle was um you know because kyle's canadian and he couldn't get into the country like uh on a regular basis so he would have troubles and so he finally like and this was at a young age too. I don't, I don't remember how old, but let's say 20. And he just left home one day for an indie show across the border, um, knew that he couldn't go back <laughs> and then get back across to the States again. Like he could go back to Canada but he would have been stuck there. So he just didn't go back home. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not sure I would make that decision at 40, let alone 18, 20 years old. <laughs> like you got a big set of balls on you. <laughs> Where did you first meet Kyle? Um, first meeting. Uh, was it the first? I don't know if it was the very first. I think we might have been aware of one another because of Davy Richards being the guy that kind of uh, got him acclimated to the business. Um, and uh, Eddie Edwards was somebody that he was a, a Massachusetts guy, but, you know, living in Albany, you're actually closer to Massachusetts. You, you know, you're 30 minutes from the Massachusetts border. So um, I knew Eddie. I think that's kind of how we were aware of one another. But we actually met in Eldon, Missouri at a Harley race camp was where Kyle and I first met. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what are you getting at, Frank? You you want more? <laughs> you opened the doors up, let's hit it. I did. I did. So uh, 
Harley's camp he would do each year and um, WWE people would be there. Uh, Pro Wrestling Noah was the big company in Japan at the time. Uh, they would be there. There would be, you know, whatever. Harley had lots of connections. Um, and these camps, you know, to various degrees of success were what they were. And, you know, somebody was definitely making a lot of money. Um, but there were people getting opportunities and, you know, like you were asking before, like people's path to get where, like everybody's is different. And my first break was that I got, um, seen by some people from pro wrestling, Noah and selected to go to work in Japan. Um, so it's the year after that Kyle goes to the camp the year after I think the year after or maybe two years anyway I, ha I had been going to Japan a little bit uh, and I went back to the camp to like help to be you know whatever um, and I was working for Noah at the time and Kyle um, you know young wet behind the ears green whatever you want to call it uh, did he did we did very similar styles both very martial arts based um, you know at that time pro wrestling Noah was doing I, I believe it was called uh, or is known in the business as like a king king's road style which was very snug um, it's a little bit of inside baseball terminology <laughs> with things being very snug some people will know what that means you know uh stiff. yeah stiff snug whatever you want to call it it was it's there um so you're feeling everything and um i can relate to what kyle was feeling because he was trying to impress people and specifically trying to impress the japanese company and the japanese people that were there so you're under the impression that this is what they want from you and I was there two years prior doing the same thing, like literally going out there like I'm in an actual fight and throwing live rounds. And so we're in this drill um, where two people get in the ring and one person takes control on the other person, starts lighting them up in the corner. And then if you're the person getting uh receiving the offense you sell to all four corners then you switch it around sell all four corners and you know call it a day that's that's the end of the drill and um so i get in the ring i didn't know this at the time but kyle tells the story i think he told it on jericho's podcast where like because he knew that i was working for noah and so he was like, I'm going to get, you know, he was waiting for me to get in the ring because <laughs> he was going to get in there with me because he was thinking, you know, like, not, I want to kick this guy's ass, but like, I want to impress this guy. And I want to, you know, <laughs> I don't know this at the time. So we get in the ring and <laughs> Kyle starts offensively on me and he just lights me the fuck up in the corner. I mean, beats the shit out of me. <laughs> so instead of um selling to the other corner um i grab him and turn him around and i throw him into the same corner and basically 
in a working fashion, quote unquote, let him know, let the younger guy know, the, the, the more green guy know, like, oh, you're going to take the offense first for me. And so then I proceed to beat the ever loving shit out of him corner to corner to corner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he turns it around on me and he's way more, let's call it polite with me than he was on the first one. <laughs> um, so the message, I got the message across, um, but <laughs> all I was doing in, in my defense, I guess, was like playing forward what I had learned when I went to Noah, because uh, working for Noah, there was a night um, with uh, Takeshi Sugira, who was one of their top guys. And I was in a tag match with him and Loki was on my team. And uh, Sugira lit me the fuck up in that match. And I didn't know why. And I thought like, well, did I do something wrong? And Loki let me know like, no, you were probably a little snug with him. And he was, you know, it's kind of, you know, dogs marking their territory, like letting, letting me know like, all right, fucker. Um, so that was kind of what I did to Kyle in a working fashion. He received it really well. <laughs> um, I was definitely a bit of a dickhead for doing it. Um, but, you know, we've, we've been friends ever since. <laughs> so while that's happened, what's Harley Race doing? Like, what was he like during this whole process? Uh, probably smoking a cigarette. <laughs> hey, kid. <laughs> I mean, Harley, Harley was, uh, he, I swear, God love him. And, uh, BJ is his late wife, but they would, I swear. I mean, they were like the definition of chain smokers. Like they, <laughs> it would light the second one off the first one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, he was, Harley was older and, and, you know, knees that looked like they were, about to fall off any moment um so he was usually sitting in a chair wa watching the camp he was there every day bright and early and you know he was usually watching and then he would give his uh you know pearls of wisdom here and there and every once in a while if somebody couldn't physically show what he was trying to point he was trying to get across he'd get in there and hit somebody with the forearm or something and be like oh shit what did you learn from him like what was his pearls of wisdom that you still use today harley was very big on just making everything mean something like if it doesn't mean if there's no purpose behind it don't do it that was one of the one of the biggest ones i took away from him you know because you're in that the first few years you're in that learning process and you're picking up a little bit of stuff here. You don't realize it at the time. Like you think you're going to get it all your, you know, trainer, or you're this or you're that, but you're actually, and this is why I say to younger guys now, not that I know what the fuck I'm doing, but um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 10,000 people or 10 people which I used that earlier. Um, but if there's an audience, it's a worthwhile repetition, you know, even if it's 10 people, because when you're relaxed in front of 10 people and you don't 
you know, quote unquote, give a fuck, you might stumble upon some shit that you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I, I gotta keep that in the toolbox. Like, I don't remember exactly. It's not my story to tell, but Cole has a story for the Adam Cole baby thing. And, um, you know, he, I've been there our first night in NXT, um, NXT, uh, takeover Brooklyn, the whole arena. And they weren't supposed to know who he was, but the entire arena said Adam Cole, baby. Um, and it came literally from something that like Cole, again, it's not my story to tell and I don't remember it. So it's a good thing. It's not my story to tell. When he comes on, he can tell it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was a really a pretty innocuous sort of circumstance. And now it's something that, you know, millions of fans, literally not not stealing the rock shtick, sh- <laughs> made fans, you know, they're familiar with it and they do it. Sold a lot of T-shirts. How did you get the name Jergen Johnson? <laughs> Jergen Johnson. That, that was one of your working names? What the? F- <laughs> All right. Well, Frank, I'm begging you, Frank. I'm begging you. Please. <laughs> going to do your homework. You know, finish it. <laughs> Don't forget to put your name on it. Pardon the pun. <laughs> it was Jerk Jackson. Jerk uh, Jackson. I like Jerk and Johnson better. Well, yeah, but Jerk Johnson, I mean... Come on, has a bit of a double entendre there. <laughs> so, Jerk Jackson, um, I was on my way to training. I trained with Tony DeVito in Newburgh, New York, which was like an hour and 40 minute drive south of Albany. <laughs> and uh, I would go two, three times a week. And, and one of these times heading down there, Jack Johnson was on the radio the recording artist mm-hmm. front of the show and then i went and i was training that day and i found out at the end of training uh there were a couple independent wrestlers that would come and train with us and they were going to do a show whenever you know i don't know if it was the next weekend or the next day or whatever it was but tony let me know like hey you're ready to go like you're ready to go have a you know work and uh i wasn't prepared for that like, I wasn't ready to hear that. I, I thought, like, you know, you just kind of get in your groove. And I, I had a good thing going there. And, you know, I, I was doing well and picking stuff up. And um, so I wasn't prepared. And I'm like, well, shit, I can't. I can't, I can't be Bobby Fish. That's a fucking stupid name. Um, <laughs> so I got to, what, what, what am I going to be? And so we were sh- shooting ideas. And my ideas were awful, like Bobby Morgan or Bobby Morgan. Yeah, just very normal, mundane, you know. um, No Jerkin Jackson, huh? That's that's unbelievable. No Jerkin Johnson. No, hold on. We're getting there. We're getting there. (laughs) Roll. And so I was thinking of the Jack Johnson song that was in that I listened to on the way down, and I was because I had the song stuck in my head, you know how that happens. And I'm like, uh, Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson. And then I was like, I, and Tony's like, well, what's your name going to be? Bobby Morgan fucking sucks. You can't be that. Like, I'm not letting you be that. 
nuts. And I go, I don't fucking know. So maybe, maybe I'll be fucking Jerk Jackson. And his eyes got big. And he was like, that's it. You're going to be Jerk Jackson. You know, we joked around about it for probably the rest of the couple hours I was there, but he was serious. And at that time, like I trusted Tony and Tony was like, he actually thought, he actually said, he was like, you could be jerk. Maybe it's jerk Johnson and you could come out with like porno magazine. (laughs) I was like, okay, this is going in a direction that I'm not ready for. But jerk Jackson, because it didn't have the double entendre, I was, I was okay with. And so I think for the probably the first four years, I was Jerk Jackson. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because I it wasn't, I didn't start using Bobby Fish until my first tour of Noah. Because Noah knew me from the camp. So they knew me as Bobby Fish. They didn't know that I was wrestling predominantly as Jerk Jackson. You know, they're Japanese. They I don't even know if they would have known it wasn't a real name i don't know i don't know how they would have interpreted that um but i went over there thinking i'm coming i'm i got selected from the camp and i went over um thinking that i was going to go and stay there for three months my stay was going to be in the dojo i would i would be a young boy i would train to to learn how to to be a pro wrestler um, even though I had wrestled some matches, I had only wrestled indies and, um, I got my flight itinerary and I called Harley and was like, Harley, there must be a mistake. And he was, he said, why? And I, and I, as you know, my, I come back in three weeks, I'm not over there three months. And he had no real explanation. Um, <laughs> it was kind of just like, wow, trust me, kid, you'll be fine. Just uh, be prepared to my Harley race is a horrible impression. Um, but he was like, be prepared to be there for three months. So I, I went over there so overpacked. Um, but I got there and, uh, literally like the day I flew in, I wrestled on Samurai TV that night from Corican Hall. I had no idea I was going to be wrestling matches and stuff. You know, luckily I went prepared, like I had gear and stuff with me. Um, But I thought I was going to be there for three months and just be in the dojo doing squats and, you know, learning how to, how to wrestle Japanese style. And instead I got thrown, I got thrown in the deep end, you know, first night. And, and obviously everything went fantastic uh my my first match was uh against this guy uh atsushi aoki who is since passed away um but aoki was and he later became like a big uh big draw for noah but at this time we were just two you know two idiots trying to figure it out um but I had a I had a good dance part of the partner that night. Um, yeah, fond memories. So when you're on the indies, are you still watching the current product? Like, what are you watching? Like, what do you do? You even do that? Uh, what do you mean? Like, so then when I'm when I'm when I come back home from Noah and uh, back then, like when you're going through the process, 
you're at Harley's camp, you're doing the yeah. indies. Are you still watching? I think Raw and Nitro. No, it was Raw at the time. Are you still keeping up with the product? Yeah, because I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I didn't know that there was independent wrestling. I didn't know how you even got started. Like, I didn't know there was Stampede Wrestling, and I didn't know Bret Hart came from the Hart family. And I didn't, all I knew was what was on WWF TV. And later in my teen years, we started getting TNT and TBS. So I started seeing like the what would become WCW, which was the NWA, which now I know had like, you know, a lot of guys coming over from Mid-Atlantic and different territories. Um, I, you know, I didn't know that stuff. Like I would read Pro Wrestling Illustrated and whatnot, but, you know, I looked at the pictures. I was, <laughs> I was 10, you know, I just saw these pictures of guys bleeding and thought like, well, this is fucking cool. So what was influencing you at the time when you're doing independence? Like, what were you watching? With Triple H, um, was it Troy Michaels? Yeah. Was it, I mean, I would, I would watch. <laughs> did you say Brooklyn Brawler? I did. <laughs> of course, you did. Steve Lombardi. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a kid in Colony named Steve Lombardi. Was there not? I think that, there I don't must know. have been. Yeah. I know there was a Steve Bell. There was a Stephen Bell. Oh, I Steve! Think- Steve, by the way, um, hit me on Facebook and said Steve Bell still wears the garbage bag and runs laps at the Bucket Park. <laughs> I, I I don't want to admit this, but I saw that. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> you know, Dennis, you're the only person uh, on this planet that I'm not related to who I've known longer than I've known Steve. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, because I mean, Steve and I met, we lived on the same street, four houses down from each other. We've been best friends since we were like five. You know, um, yeah. so outside of you and Rosario, um, Steve's the third oldest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so back to wrestling, right? Um, yeah. So I definitely, I would come home. I was definitely watching Raw and watching, you know, whatever. Um, I, I was trying to get real familiar with Japanese wrestling at the time um, because that's where I was working and where I kind of caught my biggest break was working for pro wrestling Noah. Um, and at that time I had become familiar with what the independents were obviously, cause I was trying to get on these shows and whatnot. Um, so huh, influences at that point were definitely Shawn Michaels, triple H, for sure um those are the guys that were still doing it at at just such a high level um sean had gone away and then come back and uh, lost a smile (laughs) yeah you can't go to work with days you can't go to work without your smile no no (laughs) yeah so uh while he was finding the smile uh you know, Triple H was becoming the game. Um, that whole run was uh, it was something I paid attention to for sure. Um, I still remember the the match with um, was it No Way Out? Him and Mick Foley. It was like a no holds barred. Um, they just 
beat the hell out of each other. Um, yeah, I, 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 and like I was saying, I, I was becoming familiar with the independence and like DeVito was still working for ring of honor at the time. Um, or maybe kind of towards the tail end of that. So I would go to those shows. Um, that was someplace that I thought I could work, you know, and at the time you couldn't have told me I wasn't ready for that, which I totally wasn't, but I thought I was, but like guys like Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, uh, Nigel McGinnis, they were, they were getting there you know, kind of really getting their shit together at that time. The, the run with Joe as the ring of honor champion, I will say was probably the thing that made pro wrestling most like tangible to me. It was like, Oh, you know, cause I was so enamored by, by Joe. Like he just, he had this martial arts thing and, he was this huge Samoan dude and um, he cut a promo. He could work his ass off. His martial arts was legit. Um, man, I was such a Samoa Joe fan and um, he just, it, 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 but it, because I was going to the shows and like setting up chairs sometimes and I would get a dark match when like it was attainable. It wasn't this thing that, you know, it wasn't Hulkamania. It was like, oh shit! I, you mean I can do this too? Like, uh, because as much as I was like uh, motivated by him and stuff, I didn't look at him and think like, oh well, you know, he's ten times the athlete I am. You know, I was looking at some of these guys that are that were on the shows. Um, some of them, <laughs> you know, had fairly uh, sizable names, and I'm like dude you can't hold my fucking jock from an athletic standpoint like you got two left feet <laughs> like i will literally run circles around you like I, you know I, I i didn't play at notre dame but like i did play college football and like i've always been able to handle myself physically so yeah um seeing joe do the things he did and and guys like Nigel and, and Brian like made me made it real to me made it like oh man I think I can do this when did you work with was it Ian Rodden or Ian Rodden I worked for Ian Rodden um <laughs> I don't remember the year but it was yeah it was probably around that time so we're talking years five through ten um is the time I was referencing a minute ago. And this probably towards the, the, you know, closer to the 10 year mark or better, you know, definitely double digits that I worked for Ian. They would do a thing called the Ted Petty Invitational every year. And, um, you know, I, I, I think with Noah and then some other stuff and just getting better at the craft, like, you know, just not being, so bad at it like I was starting to develop a little bit of a name and I got invited to do the Ted Petty Invitational one year um, and uh, I remember my 
first round match or second round match might have been been against uh, Too Cold Scorpio, which was really cool. Who Too Cold was working for Noah at the time. He was one of the the top gaijin, top foreigners. So I knew uh, Too Cold going into it. So we were, I think, for that reason, we did a lot more in that match than he probably would have been willing to do with me. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good experience, uh, the, the whole thing, um, <laughs> up to a certain point. <laughs> and what point would that be, Kimosabi? <laughs> I mean, the matches were good. Uh, there were lots of uh, familiar faces on the shows because Ian, you know, brought in um, everybody and their brother <laughs> to work. I mean... You know, if you had relatives that had a pulse, you know, bring them along and get them on the show. <laughs> um, and I had always, always been warned, you know, DeVito trained me well. And, you know, you don't take checks like don't be stupid. Um, I, I want to say the first year I worked the Ted Petty for Ian, like he paid me. And he might have had to give part of me or give give part of the pay to me in a check. And it was good. For whatever reason, the, this year that I was taking a check from him, I thought like, OK, he's not giving me any reason not to trust him. He's actually given me reason to think that I can trust him. So I did. And uh, we're probably talking about like three, four hundred bucks at the time. Um, but I left for a tour of the UK right after, uh, working this and, um, my, my, uh, girlfriend at the time who, um, my, she's the mother of my, my two daughters in New York. Um, I had called home to her or something and she had let me know that like, you know, A, B and C check had bounced and so this bill wasn't paid and that bill wasn't paid and this bill wasn't paid and i was like well what the fuck because i know i had all this stuff sorted out before i left because i was going to be in the uk for like five weeks and uh turned out that the check that ian wrote me was bad didn't go through bouncing and so around. yeah yeah bouncing like a basketball so it ended up, you know, screwing up my finances for like seven months. And yeah, it, you know, and on an independent schedule uh, budget at that point, um, you know, a few tours a year of Noah. Um, and then I, I'm pretty sure I was a substitute teacher at the time, like holding down to, to try to make ends meet. So I was definitely paycheck to paycheck. So when a guy writes me a, a bad check for four or 500 bucks, like that'll... That'll fuck up your day. Damn you, Ian Rotten. Yeah, thank you, Ian Rotten. Thank you. Now you're a you're an anecdote. Now you're a you're an asterisk in my story. You're an asteroid. You're an asshole. <laughs> I can't get past the fact that you almost made a mess of yourself against Jeff Hardy recently. It wasn't like it happened like ten years ago. It happened like a month or two ago. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I think this happened yesterday. It feels like yesterday. Yeah. 
I'm gonna have to go back and watch that match. I think I need to see that ending and see, you know, the impact. <laughs> see if you can see my large intestine. Large intestine made an appearance on national television. <laughs> or my small. I don't know. Whichever one would come out of your butt first. Whichever's closer to the to the actual cavity. Uh, we're not. But when did we start talking about my teeth? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. That was a bad dad joke. That was a really yes. <laughs> so, um, what do you got coming up next? Where can people find the legendary one, the professor, the infamous one, the Toastmaster General, Robert James Edward Anthony Fish the Third Junior? Where can we find him? You can always find me on uh, Instagram at the Bobby Fish. Um, I'm on Twitter, same handle. Um, leave me alone on Facebook. You know, I don't. I don't want to be your friend. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave me alone there. <laughs> Is that um, your safe place? <laughs> I, you know, it's just some place that I like to say nice things about my wife. And, <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't need the lovely Aaron Fish. <laughs> I just don't need it. I don't need it. I'm requesting. Leave it alone. Uh, anywho, uh, there's that. And then uh, you can find me at Black Label Pro Wrestling in Crown Point, Indiana. So if there's anybody vacationing in Crown Point, Indiana... Here is beautiful this time of year. Um, in September, leaves are changing. Yep. Specifically on the twenty fourth. Foliage. Come, come check me out. Um, I'm wrestling and I have a seminar. So, shit. So I go to your seminar. What are you gonna teach me? Um, I am gonna. I have this uh, foolproof system. To turn you into a pro wrestler in less than 24 hours. Get some. Yep. Come get some. I you'll you'll be making millions. Millions. And I so get you fly out, then you fly out from there to lovely Portland, Oregon. No, yes, yeah, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Portland. For prestige wrestling. Talk is cheap, featuring none other. Then Jerk Jackson. Jerk nice. and Johnson. Oh, yeah. Jeez, come on, Frank. <laughs> Killing me, Frank. This is masturbation. Enough's enough. Anyway. Um, so we got a match. You got a meet and greet. Come out and meet this old dirty dog. Yeah. And then um, October 15th and 16th, I'll be in Baltimore, Maryland. So on the 15th, it's MCW. There's a meet and greet attached to that, as well as some wrestling, some pro wrestling. That's October 15th, MCW, Baltimore, Maryland. And then I will follow that on the 16th. I will be at the Baltimore Celeb Fest, which will be a signing uh, in and of itself. So a meet and greet or signing whatever you want to call it um you know photo ops the whole thing the whole thing no wrestling for the celeb fest so next week on episode number three what can we expect from the fine lips of 
Mr. Electricity. Um, well, uh, we are, I would like to say there will be no more, um, poop stories. However, I just thought of one from the old football days that I don't know if one of you two remembers to ask me about it. I'd be happy to tell it. Stool is cool. I will write that down in my notes and we will be talking (laughs) about that. Man, there is no better cliffhanger than having everybody waiting around for episode three and the football shit story. We just, you never know what you're going to hear on this podcast. That's right. If we're going to make it a thing, we are. All right. So then uh, final thought, Frank, you got anything? Just happy to be here. Fair enough. Same here. Happy to be hanging out with, with jerk Johnson. Yeah. Jurgen John Jackson, whatever. But I knew it was coming. I was going to say something about, do you want to make another masturbation reference? But <laughs> there, and on right on cue. Since it seems to be, since it seems to be the theme, say goodnight, Bobby. Goodnight, Bobby.